six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by Good afternoon and welcome to A Public Affair. My name is Rochelle Wilson and I'll be your host this hour. As someone who lives in downtown Madison, I'm lucky to have a short walk for my daily commute. I also have a car, which I drive a couple times a week to run errands or do activities that are farther afield. As both a pedestrian and a driver, I've been having nearly daily run-ins with distracted or aggressive drivers. Cars will cut me off when I have the right-of-way and the crosswalk, sometimes even making gestures at me. I see drivers running red lights, driving fast, and not safely yielding to pedestrians or cyclists. And I'm not the only one noticing this. A 2020 survey from the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety found that people who drove more than usual during the beginning of the pandemic were more likely to engage in riskier behaviors, including reading text messages, speeding, running red lights on purpose, aggressively changing lanes, not wearing seatbelts, or driving after having consumed alcohol or cannabis. David Harkey, the president of the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, said risky driving behaviors were exacerbated during the pandemic, and they seem to have this hangover effect that's now occurring. And it's not just an annoyance. Traffic deaths in 2022 are up 22% compared to the first quarter of 2019. The CDC reports that road traffic crashes are a leading cause of death in the United States for people under age 54. Every day, almost 3,700 people are killed globally in crashes. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, so I figured what better place to have a conversation than right here on WORT Community Radio. I've lined up three guests today to talk about this uptick in risky driving and serious crashes on the road to give us some history and context about traffic law and safety, transportation planning, and what cities can do to make the streets safer for everyone. Dave Werner is a longtime member of the Franklin County Traffic Safety Board in Malone, New York, where he has served as chair, vice chair, and executive secretary. He writes a weekly column about New York's vehicle traffic law and traffic safety. Dave, thanks for joining us on A Public Affair. Thank you for asking me. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. And then here in Madison, we have Colleen Hosley. She's a transportation planner with the Greater Madison MPO. She's also a part of the Dane County Traffic Safety Commissions. Welcome, Colleen. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. And Renee Calloway is the Pedestrian and Bicycle Administrator for the City of Madison, where she leads the city's Vision Zero Initiative. Hi, Renee. Hi, nice to be back on, Rochelle. Yes, it's great to have you back on. And for folks who are serious listeners of the show, you may remember hearing Renee on the program last year to talk about Vision Zero, and we'll be getting some updates today. So thank you all so much for joining us. Colleen Hosley, let's start with you. In your work with the Dane County Traffic Safety Commissions, you meet quarterly to review fatal crashes in the area. What kind of trends have you been observing the past couple years? Is Dane County experiencing the same uptick in deadly crashes as we've been seeing in the rest of the country? Great question. Thank you. Um, yes, at the county level and throughout the state, we are seeing the same trends that we were seeing um, at the national level. Um, to kind of set the stage for this discussion a little bit, 2019 was actually the safest year um, that we've ever had on Dane County roadways. We had 24 fatalities in 2019. 2020, at the start of the pandemic, we saw a big decrease in people driving. Um, and correspondingly, we saw a decrease in the total number of crashes. However, despite this big decrease, um, we did see an uptick of fatal crashes in 2020. And in fact, in 2021, um, we've had our most uh, dangerous year in Dane County in just about two decades um, compared to that 24 fatalities in 2019. In 2021, we had 48 fatalities. Um, in terms of trends, uh, we are definitely seeing um, uh, uh, the, the multiplier effect of um, several different um, combined uh, factors leading to crashes. We are seeing excessive speeds. Uh, we are seeing people that are not wearing their seatbelt. We are seeing impaired driving. 
Thank you, Colleen. Dave Werner, thank you for joining us from New York. I'm curious, what kind of driving trends are you seeing locally on the Franklin County Traffic Safety Board? Well, pretty much the same as everybody else, except that we're a small county. Our total population is only 50,000. And so, you know, one year we could get five fatalities, another year 10, and maybe the following year one. But the crashes are definitely increasing, and so are the injuries. And last year, uh, 2021, we we hit uh, 11 fatalities, which is one of our highest amounts. So, yeah, we're seeing pretty much the same trends uh, and and the same reasons, speeds, um, distracted driving, of course, and, and people just generally doing their own thing and not thinking about safety. And of course, this issue isn't just about cars. Renee Calloway, I want to bring you in now. What are you hearing from pedestrians and cyclists in Madison when it comes to the traffic safety these past couple years? Sure. So we know um, for anyone that lives here that last year was a very challenging year for pedestrian and bicycle safety. We had an alarming number of fatalities um, at six and many of them happening along East Washington. Um, And I'm definitely hearing from people about the aggressive driving, the distracted driving, the fatalities we've had this year involve um, impaired driving. However, the good news here in the city of Madison is that we have actually seen in the first half of um, this year, we've seen those trends start to turn around. and we've seen those fatal and serious injuries in the city go down um, by 29%. So obviously it's just the first six years. We hope that this is the trend that will continue, but we know that this is something that people are very concerned about here in the city. If you're just joining us, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Rochelle Wilson, and today we're talking about the rise in risky driving and what cities can do to make the streets safer for everyone. Our guests this hour are New York traffic law expert Dave Werner, transportation planner Colleen Hosley, and pedestrian and bicycle administrator Renee Calloway. And this is a show where I want to hear from a lot of callers. Have you had any run-ins lately as a pedestrian, a cyclist, or a driver? Do you have a question about Madison streets and intersections? We really want to hear from you. So you can join the conversation by giving us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. Again, that number is 608 256 2001 extension 9. You can also reach out via the A Public Affair page on Facebook or on Twitter at WORT Talk. So there's a lot to cover this hour. And as I was trying to wrap my head around this topic, because quite frankly, that's it came up because I was walking around and feeling unsafe in Madison in kind of a new way. And I got the suggestion to look into the history of the right turn on red, an option that most U.S. drivers take for granted, I think. Dave Warner, you've written about this topic for your traffic column in the Adirondack Daily Enterprise. Can you sketch out that history for us? How did the right turn on red get started? Yeah, I'd be I'd be glad to. Actually, Western states have allowed it for more than 50 or 60 years. But how it really got started, um, it's governed federally. The Energy Policy and Conservation Act of 1975 required that for a state to receive federal assistance in developing mandated conservation programs, they must permit right turn on red. Uh, The mandate is that right turn on red should be allowed to the maximum extent practicable, consistent with safety. Thus, unless there's a safety issue determined by engineering judgment, not politicians, engineering judgment, these turns must be allowed federally. So I, there are a couple cities, though, that have outlawed right turn on red. Am I correct? You're correct. New York City has outlawed right turn on red uh, for the last, I don't know, four or five years at least. And we're, where Malone is, is we're, we're 11 miles from the Quebec border and close to Montreal, and the island of Montreal, many people don't realize that Montreal is actually on an island separated by two separate rivers. 
Um, and the island of Montreal allows no right on red throughout the whole island of Montreal, basically the main part of the city. And so what's really the rationale behind it? Because it seems like it does pose a lot of safety concerns, even if engineers have not been weighing into that effect. But it's at least the time when I feel the least safe um, as a pedestrian. What's kind of the rationale for keeping it around? Well, it's really two things. Number one, it, it began in the, uh, it came about from the 70s back when the, uh, there was a fuel shortage. So the rationale was to save fuel by allowing a right turn on red where it was safe to do so. And the other is to keep traffic moving a little bit better, a little bit uh, more, more often. Motorists, when they're, when they're held up, when they don't think there's a reason for being held up, um, they show uh, aggressive driving thereafter, trying to make up the time. So if if the uh, right turn on red is allowed and somebody that, say somebody's walking on a different crosswalk, they might as well be able to make the uh, right turn on red. And let me add just one other thing because uh, you and I talked a little bit about this um, in advance of, of today's uh, talk show. But in Malone, we just had a pedestrian safety uh, project, a couple of two plus million dollars worth on US 11, which is a US highway that runs right through Malone. And actually it goes all the way to New Orleans, Louisiana. But anyway, we, we have several, what they call blank out, no turn on red signs. It's basically a lighted sign that looks black when when it's not illuminated. But if a pedestrian pushes the walk button and when they get the walk signal, the blank out, no turn on red sign lights up and basically says no turn on red while it's lit. So that's a, an extra safety factor. It's probably a good idea and probably you'll, you'll see it used more often as we move along with this. Yeah, I really like that as a safety measure. And we'll talk about some more interventions like that. But first, we have Alan on the line. Alan, thanks so much for joining us. What's your question or comment? I was wondering if there's any statistical evidence or uh, general information about, you know, the cars uh, that get sold now tend to be bigger cars than they used to be. The sedan has become less popular than, than this SUV type car they're taller they're hard to see around and the auto companies have been pushing those cars because they make more money on them i think um and i just think that's been a safety issue that that is you know something that should be talked about thank you if they know anything about that i appreciate a comment about that sure thing thank you so much alan and renee calloway has a response for you renee Yeah, so I don't necessarily have particular statistics, but I do know that um, it is an issue. Um, you know, I'm not going to talk about physics too much here, uh, but, you know, the force and mass, um, the size of the vehicle gives it a lot of blind spots, particularly for children, um, really anyone who's shorter. So these are definitely concerns. I know that um, the city of Madison wrote a letter with concerns about um, just, um, you know, giving five-star crash ratings, but not thinking at all about the people outside of the vehicle, only thinking about the safety of the people inside of the vehicle. And that's something that we really feel needs to change in safety ratings going forward. Wow, that is so interesting that the safety ratings of a car is just only thinking about the driver and the passengers and not necessarily accounting for anyone else who may come into the collision. I think we're going to get into that a lot this hour about how pedestrians, cyclists, and other folks using the streets can really feel like second-class citizens compared to the drivers. But first, we do have another call on the line. If you are interested in joining the conversation, I love to see these phones lighting up. The number is 608 256 2001 extension 9 and we've got nate on the line nate thanks for joining us yeah thank you i just wanted to uh hear 
you guys' opinion on or sort of your thoughts on a new report came out last week from the Dane County Traffic Safety Commission that talked about alcohol-related traffic crashes here in Dane County, talking about how they're spiking a 41% increase from the current five-year average. I just kind of want to hear what are your guys' thoughts on that? I am going to pivot this to Colleen first because I imagine you might have some insight, Colleen. Yes, thank you. Um, yes, relating back to that report that you were just talking about, I have that in front of me right now. Um, we are looking at from this past year, 11 of uh, the 16 fatal crashes that we have looked at at that point in time um, involved alcohol use. Um, the, the blood alcohol levels in these fatal crashes exceeded the legal limit of uh, 0.08 and in some cases were three times higher. Um, this is something that has been a, a historical issue, I think, not only in Dane County, but certainly in Wisconsin. Um, we've seen issues with um, drug and alcohol impaired driving. Um, one of the things that uh, we have in Dane County and, and certainly throughout the rest of the state um, is there's 13 Dane County Police Departments uh, and the Sheriff's Department, uh, who's all TSC members. I have grant funding from the Wisconsin Department of Transportation, Bureau of Transportation Safety, uh, to cover a police overtime for high visibility traffic enforcement efforts aimed at curbing uh, dangerous driving behavior and encouraging uh, positive driving habits and compliance with laws. Uh, groupings of these different community uh, police departments hold the efforts on the same day for higher visibility enforcement. Um, again, when, when we're talking about traffic safety, enforcement is just um, one part um, of the, the traffic safety solution. There's education, um, there are, are other local laws. Uh, we do have the Wisconsin Alcohol and Policy Project, uh, which is also a member of the TSC. Um, and they emphasize the need to reduce excessive alcohol use, especially this time around, or this time of year during fairs and festivals. Um, and it's time to, you know, get serious about making sure people are uh, not being overserved, um, and, and finding opportunities to collaborate to get people home safely so that they're not getting behind the car and driving, behind the wheel and driving. Thank you, Colleen. And I think it's absolutely true that impaired driving is a huge problem here in Wisconsin, maybe more so than any other state in the union. So we're happy to take that up throughout the rest of the hour. I did want to turn over to Dave. You you had a comment about how this is playing out in New York. Yes, um, I just wrote an article based on some information that, that was sent my way. But in Waterville, which is just outside of Albany, New York, <clears throat> a person was um, arrested three times for DWI since May, and over the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years or so, it has seven DWIs. He's still driving. He doesn't even have the, um, um, the uh, where, you, where you have to blow a, a, into a breathalyzer in order to, to start the car. Um, and it's basically due to bail reform in New York State. The, the um, people that, that think the uh, people that are less um, wealthy can't pay, can't pay bail. So basically, you, if you get arrested, even felony arrested for DWI, you're not going to be thrown in jail because you might not be able to pay the bail. So that's been a big problem, especially for enforcement and for uh, prosecutors. Thanks, Dave. And I, I want to kind of flag that for later because I think how do you enforce these laws is a big question that, you know, folks have. Uh, we do have another caller on the line. And because we just want to keep these calls rolling, I'm going to give out that number again. It's 608-256-2001, extension 9. You're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM. And we're talking all things traffic and safer streets. So again, that number is 608-256-2001 extension 9 if you have a question or comment about driving about streets about traffic law and history and right now we do have a caller Mike on the line Mike thanks for joining us yeah hello uh, yes I was interested in your guest comments about uh, Montreal uh, I lived there for several years back in the 70s and I think that the no right turn on red that applies I think throughout the entire province of Quebec 
And I was also going to point out that Montreal actually has a second island, too. I think it's called Ile Jesus or something like that. And that's a suburban island. So there's those two. And another comment more locally is my concern that uh, the Madison Metro uh, Transit uh, Service is proposing draconian changes in bus service locally, which are in effect going to cut back on service to many areas. And so uh, my concern is this. Uh, essentially, people will be forced back to driving cars again, and that will put more cars on the road, hence endangering uh, pedestrian and public safety in general. So my question is, I think we have to keep in mind that callous attempts to uh, curtail bus service locally can only serve to contribute to the problem under discussion. I will take my answers off the air, and thanks for an interesting program. Take care. Yeah, thank you so much, Mike. We appreciate you calling in. So we'll start with Dave about that question about Montreal and right turn on red. Yeah, Mike, Mike was correct in as much as that was uh, in effect when he was living in Montreal. But more recently, a study showed that there was very little um, danger in allowing right on red. So the province of Quebec passed the law to allow it province-wide with the exception of the island of Montreal. Okay, great. Thank you. And then, Renee, there was sort of a question in there about the bus routes in Madison and how that may affect pedestrian safety. Can you speak to that for us? Sure. So, uh, I mean, it's exciting to see people care so passionately about our transit and any big changes like we're going through now, you know, really bring those feelings out. But one thing that we do know is, you know, it changed how changes how different people will get to their bus stops Um, and some of the bus stops are still being figured out. So what we do is we work closely with Metro to really review those areas and see where we need to program funds, make improvements. Um, You know, we have some funds for small improvements. We have some that are aimed at improving accessibility. And, you know, we recently um, were awarded a grant that will improve some access in a town of Madison area where that will be coming into the city soon. And we want to um, have a better pedestrian accommodation to transit stops for the town as well. So definitely um, it's something that requires a lot of work, uh, not just on redoing the routes, but also on ensuring that pedestrian safety to new stops and routes. Thank you. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Rochelle Wilson. This is a public affair, and we're talking about traffic safety, the uptick in bad driving since the pandemic, and what we can do to make safer streets for everyone. And we're taking a lot of listener calls this hour. I'd love to hear more of it. You can give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. We love especially to hear from first-time callers and I really just want to hear your stories. Are you a pedestrian in Madison? Are you a cyclist in Madison? Are you a driver in Madison or anywhere in Wisconsin or anywhere where you're listening? And what have you been noticing in the streets? What would you like to see? Because we do have some kind of big... um, changes coming our way. The Inflation uh, Reduction Act has proposed like quite a bit of changes to bike infrastructure and provided funding for all of that. And so I think this is the time. Now is the time for all of us to weigh in. Um, you can give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9, or visit us online, A Public Affair on Facebook, or WORT Talk on Twitter. So I feel like there's a lot of different places to go with this, but I did want to pivot back to you, Renee, because I'm still thinking about right turn on red. I'm thinking about how cyclists have been kind of opposing right turn on red. They've been a big voice against it. What are some other traffic calming measures or safety measures that are being advanced by pedestrian and cyclist advocates? Sure. I think a lot of it is really when you see safety, it's separating people both, um, you know, in they have their own separated space. So, for instance, you know, probably the longest one is the on University Avenue, the protected kind of contra flow lane that goes the opposite direction. But that now connects on Bassett Street to, um, you know, there's a sidewalk, there's a space that's protected from motor vehicle traffic. Um, and then there's the space for the motor vehicles. 
Um, and so that's really kind of the direction that we're going. Next year, we have a couple of big projects that have protected space for bicycles. Um, you know, we have sidewalk projects all the time. And then obviously intersections are that challenge. Um, I know David talked a little bit about sort of these boards that light up with the no right turn on red sign, which we do have some. They're also at places where we get the most complaints about, you know, people don't necessarily follow them. Or if you stop because you see that and you know you're not supposed to turn on red, you have that aggressive person behind you who maybe honks at you. And I do feel like there's a lot of challenges as we redesign our streets to prioritize safety. Um, and people who are driving are used to having convenience for them. Um, and so that is a big change that's coming here in the city as we um, remove lanes to provide more space for other people's safety, people who are walking and biking, as we make changes at intersections like that where you can't just free, freely flow through. Um, it's hard, it's a hard change that we're seeing that people struggle um, with and people feel unsafe when they follow the law because the people behind them are are aggressive and it makes them feel uncomfortable um, with following the laws. Absolutely. I've had that experience myself. I don't personally like uh, making right turn on red. And so I pretty much don't unless there's someone behind me and then I'm suddenly motivated to at least consider it. Um, so you're talking about these challenges as we redesign the streets and about some of these specific intersections. I know that but the streets in Madison are all different, right? I mean, there's like some of them have where, you know, pedestrians get a light every time. Sometimes you have to push a button to get the light. Sometimes there's an audio narration. Other times there's not. What exactly goes into like making these changes? And I guess maybe Colleen knows the answer to this, or maybe it's Renee, or maybe it's a little bit of both of you. But I'm just kind of curious as we're changing our streets, like what does it take um, to add a bike lane? What does it take to add a pedestrian crosswalk that has, you know, brighter painting or or signage? Um, I'm just really curious what it looks like to make those things happen. Sure. So I'll talk briefly and then Colleen can jump in as well. But, you know, we will we have a long list of places where people have concerns. Um, we try to study them. We try to prioritize them for where these serious and fatal crashes happening. And really put our money into those first. Um, we also look for gaps in the network where, you know, you can walk safely to a point, but not to your destination. The same with biking. And then we try to look at equity because we know that not every neighborhood has been resourced the same and that the traffic safety outcomes are not the same for everyone within the city. So really there's a lot of looking and studying and prioritizing where we can put the funds that we do have. Um, if we had an unlimited amount, it, that would be great, but we don't. So we really try to focus on where the most serious and fatal crash is most likely to happen. Great, thank you. Colleen Hosley, you're a transportation planner in Dane County. Give us some more insight here. Sure, I think uh, one of the really exciting things that's happening in traffic safety right now uh, with the passage of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act um, there was a new program created called Safe Streets and Roads for All um, that will provide $5 billion of funding for safety improvements uh, for local municipalities, counties, other organizations uh, throughout the nation for the next five years. Um, I think it, traditionally in the past, uh, certainly one of the challenges has been that uh, your safety funding um, has been very siloed. You have enforcement funding, you have funding for infrastructure improvements, you have funding for education, but they're, they're all kind of taking place in, in different realms. Um, and certainly from the infrastructure side of things, um, in the past funding has been prioritized for uh, locations that have a crash history. Um, so it, it's always been a little bit reactive, waiting to see where this hotspot's going to be, then what can we do to go out and, uh, and improve it. Um, I think with the, the new Safe Streets and Roads for All program, this offers uh, municipalities, other agencies, the opportunity to really look at the safety problem in their communities um, holistically um, and talk about how, how can we come up with some combined projects that uh, can improve infrastructure can advance education uh, can can uh, really work at um, bringing equity into the equation 
um, and starting to look at moving past kind of this, this reactive um, waiting to respond to a crash, uh, waiting to respond to a hot spot, to instead starting to look at what are the risk factors, what are common risk factors. Um, if, if, if it's uh, pedestrian safety, for example, is that we start looking at our network, where do we need to go in um, and put more painted crosswalks, things like that. Um, so I think as we're moving forward and we're getting ready to start applying for some of those funds, uh, the region will be putting together um, a, a comprehensive safety action plan that will really sit and look at our local data, um, look at our risk factors, and start to come up with a listing of priority projects that we can address in the future. Thanks, Colleen. That's Colleen Hosley, Transportation Planner for Dane County. Now we have a caller on the line. Kathy, you're on the air. Hi. Um, I live in Madison. I live on Nakoma Road, and I walk a lot and bike a lot around my neighborhood. And I just wanted to comment that I think Madison drivers are really, from my experience, respectful and aware and polite Um you know, I'm I'm walking, I'm waiting at a crosswalk. I, I don't even intend to cross, but um, you know, the the person who's driving on the street will just stop. You know, like I was waiting for them to pass, and they just stop. So you know, I go because they're waiting for me. Um, and I love the push buttons things that will. Excuse me a minute. And I'm on the radio. Just a second. Sorry. Um, the you know the push button signs where the bike paths cross the major streets. People are really very good about those generally and um um anyhow i've i've had really good luck as a pedestrian and as a bicyclist um but you know i i always try to obey the traffic signals and you know cross at the crosswalks and push the buttons and stuff like that but the strangest thing to me is that when i'm driving I often am not alert to pedestrians or um, the flashing lights for the bicycles, and I, I can't believe this. Like, why why don't I why why don't I um, you know pay attention when everybody else seems to? Anyhow, that's my comment, and um, thanks for the show. Yeah, thanks so much, Kathy. I I kind of want to start with Renee as someone who's really familiar with. Um, the pedestrians and cyclists of Madison. Is this a comment you hear often? And why do you think if Madison does have a more courteous car culture, why do you think that is? So, you know, I hear both sides of it. You know, people who go other places and they feel they have a better uh, culture around yielding. And however, Madison does continuously be rated as one of the top cities for safety um, for pedestrians. It's something that um, is ranked each year and we're very glad to be there even though we know we still have work to do um, because we do still have those crashes that lead to fatalities and injuries. Um, but I think that we have been investing in making improvements for quite a long time. Um, and because there are a lot of people who walk and bike in Madison, people who live here at least are very accustomed to seeing them um, and knowing that they're out there and there is I think something to be said just for that awareness it's you know kind of an expectation that you're going to see people walking and biking it's a normal thing in the city thanks Renee Dave I wanted to turn to you because when we spoke before the show you talked about how this is actually different in smaller cities and towns and in rural areas where people aren't accustomed to seeing pedestrians where they might not be accustomed to seeing cyclists what what does that look like then to educate the population about being a better driver and sharing the roads um I enjoyed listening to that uh, caller that talked about not having too much of a problem when she was crossing. And I was thinking there's the t timid pedestrian and then there's the uh, a better pedestrian. The timid pedestrian might be standing on a corner at a crosswalk, looking at his or her cell phone, maybe uh, talking in it or doing something with it. And the motorist doesn't know if that pedestrian wants to cross or is just standing there waiting as opposed to somebody that stands there, looks like they're gonna cross, and is making eye contact with approaching cars. 
from the first direction um, that, that would interfere with the cross. Um, the, the thing that you just asked about, um, Michelle, we're, we're a small community. Malone is a, is a village, not even a city, of only 6,000 people. And the greater Malone area is like 12,000. Um, and so at any given cycle of lights, you would probably have four or five cycles with no pedestrian and then maybe one pedestrian. So drivers are not terribly used to seeing a pedestrian uh, at crosswalks. And then we have another problem. Our crosswalks that cross this US 11, the main highway through the village, um, just about every, well, every crosswalk has a pedestrian push button but we'll find that many pedestrians fail to use the push button. So in all of our crosswalks, you must push the button in order to activate the crosswalk. So that seems to be another problem. And you could throw that in the bucket of um, education as well. Yeah, it sounds like we have a listener on the line who uh, has a comment to kind of further this part of the conversation. First, I wanted to dive in and uh, give out the number again. You're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. We're talking about all things streets, roads, traffic, cars, driving, walking, biking, however you get around. We want it to be safer and we want to talk about what's going on right now. And you can give us a call at 608-256-2001-Extension 9 to share your story. We have Dan on the line. Dan, thanks for joining us. Hi. um, I think I just heard the guy from Montreal say something about training, and that's part of what I'm calling about is I really think there should be a a program to explain to people what it means um, when people want to cross, when pedestrians want to cross, uh, that I think drivers and pedestrians need to understand that it says when you, when you're in the, when the pedestrian steps into the crosswalk, that's when you have to stop to let them go by, not if they're just standing on the curb. And I think it's an, an important point that needs to be, better understood by the public and I I would like to see some kind of a you know PR information campaign where this was explained better to people because a lot of times people stop in their car when somebody's standing on the curb they don't know if they're even intending on uh, crossing or not and otherwise people just walk out into the crosswalk and they don't even pay attention if a car is coming sort of (laughs) so I think it's really important to have this out. Yeah, thank you so much, Dan. Your comment just reminds me of something we're kind of building up to right now, which is that, you know, everyone needs to be more kind of aware of what they're doing when they're on the sidewalk, when they're on the streets, because they are part of this bigger ecosystem of other drivers, pedestrians, animals, cyclists, you know, you name it. And there's going to be other people around. And I think sometimes whether you're a driver or a pedestrian, you just kind of take for granted that you can sort of do whatever is most convenient for you and and sort of go into autopilot. Renee, do you have anything to say about what kind of education and training we have here in Madison? Sure. So we're actually next month launching kind of a big educational campaign, and we're really basing it on what we see in our crash statistics. And what we see is really those injuries and fatal crashes are coming from failure to yield, really, when it comes to pet and bike crashes. And I also know just from people calling with questions that there's a lot of confusion about how crosswalks work with, um, you know, some people really thinking like, oh, well, you know, I don't have to yield or I shouldn't yield. So we really want to kind of use what we know about the data to do that educational campaign. So hopefully people will start seeing things um, next month um, and into the fall. And we also, um, you know, we have a class for people who get tickets for um, failure to yield, where we really kind of do a much more in-depth educational experience in lieu of a ticket um, to help them understand how it's all supposed to work. Um, we do a lot, you know, in the schools with uh, with students to kind of get them to understand how everything works at a young age. But yeah, there's always more work to do. And I think, you know, you take that 
you get maybe take your driver's exam at 16, right? Um, well, it's very easy to forget all the things you've learned and to kind of fall into different habits. So we are really trying to at least focus on the top things that we're seeing so that people will understand how crosswalks work better. Yeah, and actually, I could use some education right here live on the air. I learned how to drive in a rural area, and I'm not even sure we covered crosswalks, or if we did, it was just kind of a, a blip on the radar. I find that when I'm driving, I I just want to stop if I see someone there, and that's my inclination to do. I think because when I'm walking, I appreciate that. What is the correct thing to do as a driver is approaching a crosswalk, and what is the correct thing to do as a pedestrian when you're approaching the crosswalk? Renee, can you get into that for us? Sure. So it is correct that, you know, if someone's just standing at the corner, you don't have to yield. I mean, they do have to be entering into that crosswalk. I mean, if they've activated the flashing lights, I mean, that's a sign that someone is looking to cross. Um, And, you know, if you're in a car, I mean, obviously, if you're walking, you it says that you have to you know, they have to have time to stop. So if they're right at that crosswalk, you know, you need to, you shouldn't expect them um, to be able to stop, right? Cars have a certain stopping distance. But if you are driving in a vehicle, um, you should stop. You should stop far enough back that if it's a multi-lane road, that the person in the lanes next to you can see why you have come to a stop. Um, and if you're a pedestrian and you're crossing a multi-lane road, you know, having that awareness that just because the first car has yielded to you, you know, you need to be aware and looking for that next lane to ensure that that person does too. Because we see kind of those situations where the first car yields, the person crosses and thinks everyone will is a particularly dangerous situation because that next lane, um, that person may not be paying attention, they may not know, they may think that that car is slowed down for some other reason. So just being aware um, to ensure that all the lanes, when it's a multi-lane road, have yielded to you is very important just to stay safe. Thank you. We've got a few other kind of questions from callers and listeners coming in. Ben from Marshall gave us a call and left his comment. He wants to hear everyone's perspective on roundabouts. So, Colleen Hosley, you're a transportation planner. Let's start with you on the roundabout question. I have to say from, I guess, my personal perspective on roundabouts, I love them. I think they're great. Um, I know that that's not necessarily uh, the universal truth. I've definitely heard from friends, family, other people that I know that just are not fans of roundabouts. Uh, From a safety perspective, uh, when we're talking about crashes, um, you know, people will sometimes point out that there's very typically more crashes at roundabouts than perhaps other types of intersections. However, when you're looking at the severity data, um, because of the way the roundabout operates, uh, by having to slow down uh, and having um, less conflict points crossing, you're seeing fewer uh, severe crashes, uh, fewer serious injury and uh, fatal crashes. Um, I think that they operate um, quite efficiently moving traffic through. Um, I think, you know, some of the challenges perhaps with them is from a bicycle and pedestrian standpoint, um, having accommodations through a roundabout as a bike or a pedestrian um, sometimes can uh, feel perhaps a little bit more intimidating. All right. And then we have Dave Werner joining us from New York. Dave, I see you giving us a thumbs up on roundabouts. What are your thoughts? I love roundabouts. There's like eight conflict points in a roundabout versus 32 at a four-legged intersection. Um, Carmel, Indiana, are you familiar with that at all? I just drove through Carmel, Indiana, believe it or not. Yes, I had a family event there last weekend. great city. I'd love to drive through there. They have over 125 roundabouts. They budget, I don't know, a couple of million dollars a year to convert three-color signal intersections into roundabouts, and I just love it. And I get upset with our regional uh, state DOT around here because in in five counties, upstate New York, all five counties, there's only about four roundabouts total. And, and I mean, the, the distance is, is 100 over a, a distance of 120. 
25 or 30 miles at least. So, yeah, I'm a big proponent um, that's so, that's so wild. I just drove through Carmel and that's exactly what I noticed. There were so many roundabouts and I think for drivers, it can be intimidating, especially if you're not used to driving in roundabouts, it feels more complicated. But as you say, Dave, once you get used to it, you realize, oh, wow, you know, I, I sort of only had one thing to do here. And then, you know, it's, it's, I just, I really love them too. So I guess it's a, we've got a bunch of roundabout love going on here on WRT 89.9 FM Madison. You're listening to a public affairs. And we're in our final moments of a show all about traffic safety um, and about sharing the streets. And we do have three esteemed experts on the line with us. We've got Dave Warner, traffic expert from New York, Renee Calloway, the pedestrian and cyclist administrator here in Madison, and Colleen Hosley, who is a transportation planner for Dane County. And we do have a few other questions to get to. First, I want to get to John, who is on the line right now. John, you're on the air. Hi, um, I think this might be something that uh, Renee and uh, your gentleman from the Dane County Transportation might be best able to handle. Um, I am a cyclist. Uh, I, I commute by cycle in Madison all the time. Um, and what I've noticed with these new yellow signs on the bike paths is that the entire onus for safety has been put on the cyclist. Mm. Um, there is nothing on those signs that says anything about being aware of your surroundings or keeping your dog on a short leash or um, being aware of where your children are, any of that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm hoping that that can be addressed in the future. Um, so that is the entirety of my comment. I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. Thanks so much, John. Renee, this is all for you. <laughs> yeah, you this have- one's for me. So surprisingly we have signs out there that actually um some older signs that have all of the different you know sort of etiquette stuff on them in english and spanish but people get really used to those signs these new yellow ones we put out uh, started with focusing on bikes bikes are going a little bit faster um so you know they should be yielding to sort of the pedestrian the slower traveler so we started with that but we uh, have some other signs that will be coming um, that also talk about good etiquette um, for for pedestrians. And, you know, what we've definitely noticed is sort of the signs that are up there all the time, all year round, don't get the notice that the ones that are sort of temporary placements get. Um, but people can look forward to some other new signs coming. So keep your eyes peeled. Thank you, Renee. And this really does, it feels like it's kind of all about, I mean, raising awareness is almost never enough to resolve, you know, political issues and streets are political places. But I do think that it's kind of a first step here is just for everyone to start thinking about their place in the streets and in the roads. We have a question from Michael via Facebook. He says that many of the push button signals at intersections are being deactivated here in Madison and wants to know if there's a reason for this. Renee, do you have any insight? Sure. And so it's unclear to me if he's talking about the ones that have been automated. So the buttons are still there, but you don't need to push them. That walk signal is going to come up every time. Um, And we did add a lot of those during the pandemic. Um, You know, we had a lot of people walking. There was a lot of unclarity about pushing buttons, if you all remember back to the beginning of the pandemic. So we just automated quite a few of them. Many of those are still automated. So if you're a pedestrian, you don't you can just come to that intersection. You don't have to do anything. Some of them we have changed and you do still have to push the button again now, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. You know, the good part is pushing the button. We are able to give a longer walk signal when that happens. A lot of those then give that leading like give you a little time as a pedestrian at the beginning. So. I'm not a signal engineer, but for any of the ones, um, you know, that we have stopped from being automated, you know, we do take a close look and ensure that we're still giving, um, if you have to push that button for ones where we can, if you come up and it's just changed, you feel like maybe you missed it, we try to give it. So if you push the button, you'll get the walk signal and enough time to cross. It's kind of a complicated, you know, technology out there, but we are still trying to ensure a really good, positive uh, pedestrian environment, really that encourages people to cross at that location and makes it easy to do so. 
Thank you, Renee Calloway. We're coming to the end of our hour. I knew this was going to happen. I knew that we were going to get so many amazing calls and have such a great conversation and the time was just going to fly by and that's exactly how it happened here. Um, So with just these last few minutes left, I want to ask each of you to kind of talk about like what's on what's the biggest item on your wish list for you know what comes next when it comes to traffic safety and creating safer streets for all and Colleen Hosley transportation planner with the Greater Madison MPO and part of the Dane County Traffic Safety Commissions I want to start with you and you don't even necessarily need to think like an administrator right now what's just on your wish list for safer streets Um, I guess I would say I'm just uh, really looking forward to this opportunity to um, work on this regional comprehensive safety plan um, and, you know, really talk to locals, talk to people who are out there on the streets experiencing, you know, the challenges, where are the conflict points, things like that, um, and be able to move forward with solutions to address that. I guess I, I think my parting words um, one of, I guess, my wish list for the future. I have a quote that I keep on my computer um, that says, a safe street is not where safety is determined by how fast someone can comfortably drive, but rather one where a person can comfortably walk, ride a bike, and cross the street using a wheelchair. So, so that is my wish list for the future, that that is how we define a safe street. Thank you, Colleen Hosley. Renee, Callaway, pedestrian and bicycle administrator for the city of Madison, and you lead the Vision Zero initiative. I can't believe we didn't get to that. But what's on your wish list, Renee? Sure. My wish list is that we are successful in um, competing for federal funds that will allow us to really accelerate the level of improvement. What we, I mean, we really have a lot of momentum around um, changing our streets, um, but it takes money. Right, we've been putting a lot of time and money into making it easier to drive, to make sure that people can, you know, get in from outside the city. And I really hope that we can compete for the funds and we can put people first um, and community first in the way that we design our streets and do it in a way that's sustainable and builds the future that we need to have. Thank you, Renee. Dave Werner, longtime member of the Franklin County Traffic Safety Board in Malo, New York, and writer of a weekly column about New York vehicle and traffic law. What is on your wish list when it comes to our streets? In New York State, once you get your license, there's no requirement for ever taking a refresher course. Many, many years ago, an elderly woman gave me to keep a 1951 New York State driver's manual. And it talked about how far behind a streetcar you had to stop when the streetcar was taking on or discharging passengers. So my wish list would be for New York State to mandate periodically, I don't care if it's every three years or five years, but to mandate periodically that every driver must take some kind of a refresher training to learn of all the new laws and regulations that go into effect every year. Thank you so much, Dave Werner. And that brings us to the end of our show today. Thanks to our guests for the hour, Dave Werner from New York and Colleen Hosley and Renee Calloway from Madison. Thanks too to all of our callers today for your insightful questions and commentary about our streets. This hour of radio was produced and hosted by me, Rochelle Wilson, and I want to thank Andrew Thomas and Sholly Pittman for help with engineering and taking your calls today. Next up on Madison Bookbeat, Stu Levitan will be in conversation with Rob Zaleski about his new book, David Cooper Beyond the Badge, Reflections of an Ex-Cop. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. Send you merry go rounding while the KKK police the streets by blood hounding. Interest on the credit card just keeps on compounding.